This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, KTC of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how are we doing this week? I'm very good, thanks Josh. Um... Yeah, you know what? I have accidentally got that much to add for the change. Just uh, I'm, I'm mellow and, and steady. I'm not sure if you noticed, but I think my wig is starting to reach caveman level. Yeah, they did notice, to be honest. I was just waiting for you to bring it up. I, can, I still yeah. can't believe you're waiting to the 20 seconds. I know you're getting there. What was it? It wasn't my idea. I consulted with various people and they, they advised me. So if, if anything goes wrong, if I end up with like a full on Mohamed Salah wig. I'll have to just blame other people, mate. Um, mm. Hopefully the listeners and... Well, not the listeners, but hopefully the viewers bear with me through it. Um, yeah. I thought maybe you were just old now for Calher's barber because uh, <laughs> he's playing, playing well at the moment and you want to be associated with that. I'm hoping I get in at the same time as Kelleher. <laughs> I can have a chat with him about the podcast and stuff. Yeah. Um, he played this week. Uh, we played Wolves. We're going to look back at that game. And we're going to look ahead to Fulham. Well, it means to be seen a real player now. I've saw a few rumours that Alisson could be back. Um, but the Wolves game, Dave, uh, did you attend? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, thoughts? Um, yeah, you know, it was... Uh, I predicted quite a, a tight game, didn't we, beforehand? But I have to say, you know, I thought it was a, a really good performance by Liverpool. It was a controlling and dominant win. Um can't really think of any players who had a bad game on the night. And I would know what I was really surprised by. This isn't something we really touch on, but then it does kind of come under our remit a little bit because we have pointed out before that it's not just about numbers with us. Um, I was surprised about the impact of the uh, the fans in the stadium yeah. because although there was only 2,000, you'd be surprised how much that noise echoes around the stadium. And uh, it definitely sounds like there's more in there when you're playing. And it does, for me, definitely give some sort of psychological edge, both in favour of the home side, Liverpool, uh, and then impact the away side a little bit. Um, I think we're gonna. It's going to be interesting to watch home and away form over these next couple of months with fans coming back in. Yeah, I mean, I seen a quote before from Leander Dendonke, and I think he said something along the lines of because of the noise that the Liverpool fans created on the day. It felt like there was about fifteen thousand of them, as opposed mm. to two thousand. Um, so obviously, with it being Anfield and things like that, probably does have an impact on things. And um, I'm not actually sure how Liverpool have got on this season when it comes to overperforming in attack. But this this was a fair overperformance when you look at the expected goals, and it's difficult to you know to attain how much of an overperformance like that can be down to just fans willing you on to do well almost like you know the cop kind of sucking the ball into the net almost sort of thing um so you know it's worth keeping an eye on um but yeah it was it was quite an easy day surprisingly um obviously a 4-0 win which is quite dominant i think we mentioned that west ham have done that to wolves this season but other than that they very rarely seem to get beat by more than one goal really um but the, the expected goals, I was quite surprised by. I mean, I, mm. I watched the game firmly as a fan on the day, so I wasn't really thinking too much on the initial side. But it did feel like a comfortable win. It did feel like a deserved win. But if you look at the XG, 
it looks it does look a lot tighter. Like if you'd have shown me these numbers now that I'm gonna reel off before the game. If you'd have showed me these numbers last week when we previewed the game, I'd have been like, Oh yeah, spot on. Um mm. obviously Liverpool posted one point two expected goals. Um Wolves zero point five. Liverpool eleven shots to nine. Mm. Six shots on target to three. That does look a lot low, a lot closer to a you know a one nil win, a two one win. Obviously, Liverpool end up scoring three. Yeah, four three. Yeah, uh, well, you, I mean, you kind of right. That's something I was just about to say. Then, I suppose what we've got to consider is the uh, the own goal as well. Obviously, that's a that that wouldn't have been um, that wouldn't been picked up on most metrics, would it? Um, because it's, yeah, it it wasn't. Point, yeah. Um, obviously, if that kind of goal was to my because what I thought was really interesting by that goal, by the way, was Salah for me definitely could get there, and it's almost like he leaves it for Mane to to finish, um, which I thought was really interesting because we've often talked about Salah being quite uh, quite driven, focused on his own goal tally. He's not in a negative way; just that's just how he is. He's a, he's a kind of output player, isn't he? I thought it was interesting that for me, he definitely leaves it for Mane, but. If Mane gets it on the end of that, that's going to have quite a high XG and probably boost that number. But yeah, I think t- in terms of you know the scoreline probably flatters things from a chance creation perspective. But in terms of you know the the overall performance and, and dominance within the game, uh, I think it probably does resemble it. If that makes sense, Josh. Yeah, it just it didn't really ever feel like Liverpool were you know under the cosh. Never felt like Liverpool was struggling too much. I think Kelleher was brought in to, to make one or two saves, but they, they weren't like really well-beaten saves. And I felt like maybe from a Liverpool perspective, maybe we had a few little breaks that didn't end up resulting in shots. Obviously, you mentioned the Mane, the on-goal type thing. I agree with you, by the way, when I, when I, when you said um, I think Salah could have got it. But I think, obviously, by that point, Salah's got a goal, he's got an assist. So, you know, uncharacteristically, he left it for his teammates, so I do think he, he spotted in the left of his vision. But uh, obviously, he ended up going in as own goal. Um, mm. Throughout the game, uh, Roberto Firmino is a player that I picked up on as being, you know, back in the mould of what we expect from him, sort of thing. Uh, mm. Still doing his, his, his maverick, weird, unorthodox plays, but also doing a lot of what makes him such a valuable player for Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, um, it was probably a performance that wouldn't necessarily stand out hugely in the quanti- quantifiable stuff, uh, but there was just a, a lot of really nice touches. I thought distribution was brilliant and and movement off the ball as well uh, was, was was first class. I have to say, by the way, can you remember that uh, that pass in the first half where he, he kind of does like a karate scissor kick? Yeah, I, yeah, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? Into the path of Mane, like I remember as he was in it, thinking, "Is he is he going to try this?" And I thought it's going to fly out, and it, it was just inch perfect. It was kind of, it felt like he was playing with confidence a little bit. I don't know if that's because he scored recently, um, but you know, a, a confident version of Firmino is a is a really enjoyable player to watch. Yeah, it did. I mean, the uh, the pass that you're on about there, that was what I was thinking of when I just said about his maverick plays and stuff like that. It, He's he's actually celebrated goals with that same action, so mm. to go and celebrate a goal with an action and then end up using that as a way to execute a pass, I think pretty much sums him up. But I think 
one of the reasons he's so valuable, obviously people people talk about what he offers outside goals and stuff like that, but I think one of the reasons he's so valuable is because Liverpool have so many risk takers in that team, specifically in and around the final third. You know, you've got Salah, Mane, Robertson, Trent, Henderson takes a fair few risks on the ball. Um, so, uh, Kate is the same. So, I think having a player who's deployed high up the field, but maybe doesn't take those risks and kind of, I've said this before plenty of times, he's, he's kind of the glue guy, mate, for, for me. Um, he kind of offers the glue in around a gang of risk takers, really. And I think it allows Liverpool to sustain pressure high up the field. It allows Liverpool to move the pitch smoothly. Um, Lallana did a little bit of this for Liverpool last season, just coming on, just providing a bit of glue because Liverpool are so inclined to take risks high up the field that sometimes if the bad risks or if we fail to uh, back them up once the ball is kind of, once the ball falls loose and stuff like that, it can result in Liverpool lacking, lacking control really. But I think when Firmino's like this, he does just kind of knit things together. I know it's quite a cliche line for like a number 10 type player. But I do think that that's one of his main perks, just how he kind of, yeah, he just he just provides the cement in between Liverpool's, you know, attack sort of things to just to, to knit Everton together to make Everton one. Um, yeah, and it was good to see him back doing that. Yeah, I think he reads the game, reads attacks really well, which I guess comes with being integrated in a in in this attacking system for well several years now. Really, you know, he's been there. Pretty much in the it's the entirety of Klopp's time, hasn't he? He's been there, um, and I think what he just does really well is beyond those kind of um, actions with the ball. Um, he just seems to be able to know exactly where to be as as certain attacking sequences are building. He knows when to kind of drop in, or I mean, sometimes I was watching him last night, and he you see him in like the left back position. You know, you see Robertson pushing up as like a winger. Uh, you might see whoever's number eight kind of almost taking up his position. He's dropping in as like a left back, and you don't really see any number nine doing that. Okay, he's a he's more of a number ten as he plays, but um, I just think for the defending side, and don't forget, Wolves are really good without the ball. For a defending team, it must be so difficult to kind of track where he's going, what he's doing next, and then whilst you're preoccupied trying to work trying to work that out. Which plays are then occupying the spaces that he's left in behind. It's a, it's just such a fluid system, and I don't think there's many players who could kind of play that role in his place. Like so many people have tried, and when they've talked about not so much now because Arsenal's struggling, but when when teams have talked about Arteta, Arsenal, they try to compare with Liverpool's front three at times and talk about Lacazette being like a Firmino role, but. I, I just think it, it it's such a hard role to replicate, and you just can't compare the two. Yeah, I think I think funnily enough, I think the player who's probably closest to it at the minute in the Premier League is probably Kane. I think Kane mm. has developed in a way whereby tactically, you know, with Mourinho getting rid of Deli Ali, so there's no one in the ten space, mm. uh, and playing two wide forwards who are inclined to running behind. That it's it's encouraged Kane to drop really really deep. He's encouraging Kane to, you know, defend set pieces, drop back when when Spurs don't have the ball win files and all stuff like that. So it's probably something we'll talk about more and I'll probably write about it to be honest when, when Liverpool face Spurs, which is quite soon I think. Mm. Uh, next, next, next week or so. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So we'll I think we'll preview that one next week rather than this week. But 
Yeah, I think no. uh, I think Bobby's back on his form. Mm. Um, another player that I want to touch on is is Wijnaldum. He played 19 minutes again, um, and he just seems to be a bit of a cyborg, to be honest. <laughs> because yeah. like, certain players in Liverpool squad have, have played virtually every game. Like Andy Robertson comes to mind, but Andy Robertson's had at least two weeks now whereby he's been flagged as a potential doubt. Wijnaldum is playing every week, including for his country. Um, 19 minutes in most cases, and he never even seems to be a doubt. He never, you never even hear of like, oh, Wijnaldum's got a little niggle. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 he's just consistently available every single week. And um, yeah. when he does play, he's, he's in terms of being reliable to be available, He's equally reliable when he actually takes the field as well. When, when it, you know, in terms of how he plays, he's just an all-round one of those players that you can just really count on. Yeah, yeah, you can basically put him anywhere across the midfield, can't you? No, that he'll he'll perform. Um, it might not always be blockbuster performances, but as we've said so many times now, it's not new information. You know, that's as a result of the role he's given. It's not a lack of capacity or ability. He just never seems to have a bad game. He might have a, you know, 7 out of 10 game every now and again, but one, I do wonder just how much of that comes down to, um, you know, kind of playing a, an unremarkable role if he's if he's kind of opening the floor for the more attack-minded players. But, yeah, his, his availability is unbelievable. And this is something I was really banging on about in the summer when so many seemed so keen to to get rid of him really you know bring Thiago in when it looked like it was going to have to be a like for like there was just such this like happiness or willingness to to let Wijnaldum go um, out the door and it just seemed bizarre to me because I appreciate Thiago was a fantastic player but the the kind of reliable profile you get from Wijnaldum is, is almost unrivaled um, and then on top of that he just produces stuff like that goal like I was laughing as as that as that just after that goal went in, I said to the person next to me, you know, it, it's kind of like Wolves were were treating Wijnaldum in that moment as they were backing off, like he was a Soko or someone. I used yeah. Soko because you know he's kind of like a defensive midfielder. He's really good at his job. But we've seen a couple of times, and there was an example at Anfield about eighteen months ago where Soko's running in on goal, and Van Dijk was just happy to. It opened the floor for him because he knew he couldn't really do anything in the final third. You could see Sissoko was just trying to lay it off to, I think it was Son on his right, and Van Dijk ends up performing like a great piece of defending. And it felt like they were doing that to Wijnaldum yesterday. They were almost happy for him to keep carrying it forward. And I, it just made me laugh because I thought, it's like they didn't understand who's coming towards them here. Like they've, they focus more on the role he's playing rather than the actual ability he has because he's a fantastic scorer when he needs to be and he you know he rightfully punished him by putting him in the top corner yeah no he's spot on I think he's um, one of the most underrated players that Liverpool have had over the over Klopp's period without doubt um, fully enough interesting little stat since he joined Liverpool in the Premier League that is his furthest goal <laughs> how so, far was it? It wasn't that far. It was right on the edge of the box, but it, that's the furthest goal he scored for Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, wow. Yeah, the, what I'm looking at here doesn't actually say. I'm just looking at his goal map. Um, yeah, 
in the Premier League since signing for Liverpool. And he was one of the goal against Sheffield United from outside the box. You remember it at Bramall Lane yeah. when it, it yeah. won. Yeah. That's the only other goal line album score for Liverpool in the Premier League from outside the area. Um, but no, I think he's spot on. I think he's um, I think he's a special player. And I think I, I'd seen an interview a few weeks ago. Uh, it might have been a few days ago actually Jamal Sells and the actual Sells who's the best player you've played with and he said why not um, oh. and he just said he said the reason behind that just he's pure ability was the words he said um, and I think it comes across when he's playing when he's playing for Liverpool and stuff and then when he goes and plays a completely different role for Holland to an equally impressive standard mm. um, he's just a really complete Football would, would would not see many weaknesses and kind of in the total football mold when it comes to being an attacker with the ball and a defender without it and you know contributing to all phases of play and stuff like that. But the other, a few days ago, I was speaking to to someone who who mentioned about his contract and that you no, know, this was this it wasn't like a diehard fan or anything like that. But when they found out that his contract was run up at the end of the season, they they, they were like, why? You know, they, they couldn't really get their heads around why he's a, he, he performs every week for Liverpool. Mm. Obviously, we don't know the details as to why yeah, it hasn't been signed yet. Um, we don't know if, if Wijnaldum just doesn't want to sign because he wants a new challenge. But from from the perspective of the club, I, maybe we should provide a bit of insight into why, you know, from a squad-building perspective, recruitment's... It's a year old player getting a contract like this is a tricky one for the club, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just turned 30 in the last month, and it is difficult because you wonder how many of his, his best years ahead of them. Now, it's not to say that he's going to fall off a cliff performance wise, because if you look at Milner, you know, a perfect professional, he's he's still doing a job for Liverpool now. Um, but you've just really kind of hit the nail on the head and you're talking about you know squad building wise um, and do you look at maybe someone like Jones coming through because um, it's kind of uh, okay they're not like for like as such but in a lot of ways they kind of are as well in what they, in what they offer or what they can offer uh, I think maybe Wijnaldum's at this stage a little bit you know better without the ball um, but that's it. You, you wonder how much. I'm not saying why not. I mean, we don't know what kind of money Wine Alden would be asking for, but if there's an offer on the table to to go abroad and get his kind of maybe last big paycheck as a player, he'd, he'd still be able to go to a top European side. You might look at this and think, you know, he's had a, a fantastic time in Anfield. He's won two of the biggest trophies you can win. Um, in the Premier League and Champions League, from that point of view, there's there's little left to achieve except obviously trying to win them again. Um, so he may just be looking at it from a personal point of view and think new challenge, more money because I don't think Liverpool are going to throw a lot of money at him because of his age. Um, yeah, and so I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be one of them where both parties may wish for the deal to be done, but it just won't be right enough for both sides to actually do the deal and that might result in them parting ways at the end of the summer yeah I mean it's, it's a tricky one because um, obviously when we signed him he come from the championship obviously just being relegated moving up to Liverpool who weren't in the current mould 
at the time. I don't think he'll be on too much a week, to be honest. Um, obviously, with probably being the last contact of his career, he'll want to get a boost on that, despite him turning 30. Mm. And that's not money grabbing, is it, by the way? Just before you carry on, that's not money grabbing. It's It makes sense. Yeah, it, it happens in football. You know, it's, mm. what, it's what a lot of footballers do. I mean, if you look at, say, for example, Christian Eriksen, obviously they're in a, a bit of a salty away, maybe. Mm. But with it being probably one of the last contacts of his career, players want to boost. Players want to boost from this sort of thing. And I think, say, for example, Wijnaldum is on... Just for argument's sake, say he's on eighty grand a year, and he want and he recognises what he's done for this club over the period of a few years, recognises his status in the team as in playing every week, and he wants to boost to hundred and thirty, hundred and fifty grand a week. Although, to a to a degree, that makes sense considering his status in the squad. Given his age, given that he's run out of contract, he's probably going to be signing at least three years. I'd be surprised if he, if he signs in two or below. So you're then dedicating yourself as a club to a, a player who's going to become 33 eventually, earning around 150 grand a week. By that point, will he still be playing every week? Will you be getting 150 grand a week's worth out of him on the field? Um, and that's what a lot of teams in the Premier League specifically tend to get wrong. I think Arsenal comes to mind, to be honest. If you think of Ozil, you know, Ozil got this big deal, 300-odd grand um, a week, massive deal. He's now in his 30s, he's not playing at all. Arsenal are just completely eating that contract. And the only way to get rid of him, really, is to sell him for a massive hit or to, um, you know, cancel his contract, which it involves paying him out. So, Generally, you know, when a player gets into his 30s, it, it, it does become tricky from a recruitment perspective. It's got to make sense from a club's perspective to, to keep him going on the way that he's, in, that he's on. You got, it's got to be value in it um, in terms of what you're paying him, translating onto the field. And uh, it, as you mentioned there about Curtis Jones, obviously he's, he's keeping up a squad position there. So um, it is tricky. I do think Liverpool will have offered, offered him something, but I'd be surprised if it's above 100 grand, to be honest. What would you do if you were in charge? Um, it's a tricky one. I think I'd, I'd be doing what I can to keep them, to be honest, because I think I think certain players you can maybe look at when they're around 33 and you just already think he'll be finished by that point. Mm. I think Wijnaldum, with him showing how robust he is during this period, I think he will still be quite a reliable figure around that age mm. he'll be available he doesn't pick up injuries does he no uh, whether he'll be contra- contributing 150 guns worth of of actions on, on the pitch every week remains to be seen um, mm. what about yourself I don't know yeah I'm in the same boat I'm, I'm trying to weigh up whether you could potentially do like a because I think you you could definitely get what you're getting now next season from him as well. You know, reliable, um, good output on the pitch. So if there's a way you could kind of meet his demands for the year, but then have some sort of contract break where there's a renegotiation process. But I think the issue is if someone's on the table to his representative saying, you know, we'll give you, use that figure, you use 130,000 and we'll offer you a three-year contract. 
or he stays with Liverpool and gets it for only 12 months and he doesn't really know what comes after that. I think you're inclined to just make the move, aren't you, and get that guaranteed sum for, for three years. So I'm with you. I, I think certainly for the next 12, 18 months, you'd want him tied down. Uh, beyond that, there's just there's no blueprint really, is there, for players at 30 onwards because it just seems to be so varied in what, in what actually happens with them performance-wise. Sometimes the... You know, you get a Milner, uh, and then other times you see players fall off a cliff. So it is really difficult to predict. Um, but I think from a Liverpool perspective, you would, it'd be a shame if he went at the end of the year, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, one, one of the ways in which clubs tend to get around this is um, obviously they the, the start giving contracts out based on number of appearances and things like that. And, you know, the, the, rather than being a strict wage every week it, it, a player's contract becomes more you know incentive based um, and it just remains to be seen whether some players are willing to accept that really I think mm. if you look at Wayne Alden's case he's now a completely different player in terms of stature now compared to what he was when he came to Anfield you know he's now a European champion he's mm. an English champion there's a fair amount of teams throughout Europe he'd probably start for Including yeah. like at the top of the game, the likes of Bayern Munich and teams like that. He's a, such a reliable player. When he gets in in a team and gets a slot, he's he's difficult. He, he's going to be difficult to, to to oust. You know, for any player who's kind of in and out sort of thing. So I can't see him starting for a lot of teams. And obviously, when if, if he did sign for another club, massive signing on fee and all that sort of stuff. Especially if it's a free transfer. Mm. So it's just a tricky one. I I would like him to stay. I do think he goes against some of the general rules of over 30-year-old players, largely because of his, his injury record just flawless. And mm. He's been playing top-level elite football from from an early age. I think he was, um, you know, from a teenager, around the age of like 17, 18, I think he was straight in playing first-team football. And mm. He hasn't really came out since. No. But um, it's, it is just a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, I mean, if he does go, he's he's had a fairly good time uh, on Merseyside, hasn't he? So, yeah, it'll, um, I'm sure he'll be he'll be waved off with plenty of good memories. But you know, there's still there's still a, a, a while to go this year. Just looking it? at his deal. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at his deal. Put it this way: it's no coincidence. That as a 25 year old, Liverpool signed him on a five year contract because mm. at the end of that five year contract, he will reach the age of 30. And that kind of is an ideal time, really ideal position for a club to, to then assess what the situation is, sort of thing, with the mm. player. You know, whether, whether it's time to, to let him go, whether he's worth keeping, what value he's offering. Um, whether you can sell him maybe at the age of 28 with two years left on his deal, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So there's more more that comes into it usually with contract than, than what meets the eye. Um, it's not just a case of, you know, oh, does he want to stay at Liverpool? Why wouldn't he want to stay? He's always greedy asking for more money or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, from a, a recruitment perspective, squad building and stuff, there's, there's, there's lots that you've got to consider. Yeah, both um, for the player and the club. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just before we move on, if you was to guess 
what happens there? I mean, have you got any thoughts? Um, just, I mean, if he goes on as a kind of a season that he's he's had so far, he might get a twelve month extension. He might just think, you know what, I want to stay here one more one more year, but. The way I feel right now, based on the conversation we just had, I think he'll probably go, just for the reasons we said. Um, I think Liverpool will probably have a kind of top end that they're willing to offer, even though they do really. I'm sure Klopp loves him. I'm sure he's well-liked around the club. I think they'll be they'll have a, a figure that they're willing to pay. It might be a little... Well, it probably will be less than what he can get offered elsewhere. He can probably go to another really big side in Europe and... And kind of play the next few years still at the elite level, but earning a guaranteed sum, you know, because you don't want he, he, he won't take like a pay pay play type deal, would he? Because, well, why would you if you've got guaranteed funds on there? Because if, if he was to you know pick up a big injury, he wouldn't get paid. Um, so I, for me, I just think he's probably gonna gonna move on in the summer, yeah, I do as well, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think obviously when Liverpool balls him in 2015. 20- 15, I think it was, uh, on 2016 for 25 million. Obviously, generally Liverpool want to get a return on player value and they, they don't just want to let a player leave for free. But I think if you look at that, Liverpool have had Wayne Allen for five years there. Um, for 25 million, you probably got probably got your money's worth there without needing yeah. to, to sell them, to recoup anything. Yeah, easily. Um, so I think it's one of them that you kind of just can't accept as, as a free transfer if it does happen. Um, I still I don't want to personally. I, I I would like him to stay, especially looking at how valuable he's gonna be and has been already in the coronavirus period with the you know lack of preparation, lack of recovery time and stuff. Mm. Um, but if I was to put my money on something, I would probably say I I think he might leave. But mm. um, if he does, I hope he gets a proper send off because uh, I've I've seen people very frustratingly comparing it to Emre Can. And it's really <laughs> me Eden because it's not even close. Emre Chan, for me, wanted to spend his peak years away from Liverpool because he, in my opinion, and based on what I've seen and what he, what he said and stuff, I think he thought he was deserving of a higher level. Why not yeah. spend his peak years at Anfield? It's different. Um, so, you know, whatever happens there, whatever he decides to do, good luck to him. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red Channel. Finally, on the on the Wolves scene, we mentioned it last week. I don't really want to go on about it too much because I do I do like him as a as a player. Like, but I think Conor Cody struggled, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of obviously makes a makes an error, which everybody does. You know, it's not getting us back too much. But he makes a, a really big error. You know, kind of get handing the first goal to Liverpool and. Yeah, it was just a tough, tough game, and as I said, it's. I think the the system that they, they play suits him when he when you know he's all the plays in front of him. I don't think he's a player who suits it going in behind. And um, yeah, if anybody had any doubts, I mean, don't get me wrong, I I, did, I was watching. Think he is a solid defender. Thought he had the first a good first like 15, 20 minutes, but yeah, I just don't think he suits suits Liverpool. No, I mean, surprisingly, they went for a back four which we previewed but didn't really think would happen. Um, and I do think he's more exposed in a back four. I think he's his long diagonal passes to usually the wing-backs become less effective because you're not playing wing-backs, you're playing full-backs. Um, so it wasn't just a mistake. He gave the ball away a few times as well. 
just didn't really seem comfortable with um, with the support around him. But I just thought it was something probably to punish him because, from our in our opinions, although he's a good player, clearly a good personality and stuff, he's not suited to Klopp's game. Um, and may, maybe this was a bit of evidence as to why. Mm. Uh, just on that, I, I was I, I was laughing to myself thinking. I wonder if he'll try and bat it off like he's not bothered, but I wonder if it's hurting a little bit of getting booed by your uh, by your boyhood club fans as well, because obviously he went down for that. That was a bad one, but he went down, dived on for that penalty, didn't he? Rightly overturned, and uh, he got plenty of stick then for the rest of the game. And obviously, as a big boyhood Liverpool fan, that might have stung a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I felt sorry for him because obviously, you get first goal, first goal was his fault. Then he gets an opportunity to steal a penalty. He takes the opportunity because probably because he's just given a goal away at the opposite end. Mm. And when it comes to the actual dive, obviously it looked awful. But I do think he's anticipating getting volleyed by Mane. Yeah. Um, I think he, he he's on his way down as as he sees Mane attempting an overhead kick in his own penalty box. So mm. I think if Mane pulls out, it just makes him look like a cheat. So yeah, it just wasn't a great game for him, was it? No. Um, I know we're probably going to move on in a sec, but just before we do, a uh, quick word on Keller here. Yeah, um, another strong performance. I think mm. he's, he's he's probably better better with his feet than, with, than we give him credit for last mm. week against Ajax. I thought that was maybe just a line from Klopp to get him in. But initially against Ajax, that, that is. Mm. But he does genuinely seem really composed with the ball at his feet. Um, quite a capable contributor and stuff. And when, when it comes to... Specifically, his decision making. Uh, I like his decisions. He doesn't make bad decisions. Um, mm. Adrian does. Um, yeah. I, know, I know you you sent me a message during the game, didn't you, Bogdan? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, basically, as, as you said there, you know, I just thought his his decision making was really good. Uh, comes out, and he come out at the right time. There's two that I can think of where there's one where he comes out and catches it in the air. And it isn't an easy catch because it's right behind him. He's stretching, and it's one of them where you can see lesser keepers sometimes fall down and spill it on the drop, but he doesn't do it. Holds it well, and then there's another one where it was curled in, and he comes off and punches it away for the corner. But there was two Wolves players coming in behind, and it's one of them. If he misses that, it's going to be a guaranteed goal against. Um, and yeah, I don't think he obviously the chip as well. You know, we done really well against Pedenza's chip. Uh, and that was still at nil nil, sixteen minutes gone. If you can see there, could have been a different game. But I just, yeah, I just feel like although he wasn't getting bombarded all night, he's just very composed, makes the right decisions. And just on on that passing point, I think I mentioned this in a piece I did last week. But I think it um, it's a reminder why there's a benefit of having the academy fully aligned with the first team because. If you compare him to Adrian, who, no disrespect to Adrian, but he's, he hasn't played at any great clubs, has he? He's been at like medial sides, clubs like West Ham's and you know, Real Betis's and those type of clubs. Um, he's never been at like the truly like top end, like Liverpool are at the moment. So he's never really had that kind of need to, to play a possession-based game. Whereas, if you think of Kelleher, he's come through the academy and he's... He's been reared to, to play that way, you know, to play out from the back, to be composed in possession. And it just made him, it so much easier for him to kind of scale that up into the first team. And yeah, I, I, I actually do believe Klopp was 
wasn't just kind of feeding his lines. I think he sees him as the better keeper with the ball at his feet, and that's why he's he's been using him. Even without the ball at his feet, though, I think he's appeared the better goalkeeper overall. Every um, mm. save he's been called upon to make, although none of them have been that tough, I don't think. Mm. Uh, but in between that, you know, in between his use of the ball and the saves he's making, just as decisions, as we've mentioned, you know, coming and catching, coming and punching, um, when to come, when not to come. Just good decisions. Um, mm. It's reassuring for, for the yeah. whole defensive line, really. Um, and I think he would he would be unfortunate to be to come out the side for fun. But to be honest, I'd, I'd, um, I'd look at him now as firmly second choice. Obviously, Alan gets injured a fair bit, sadly. Um, well, fair bit for the goalkeeper. Mm. So when he does... I'd have no bones about bringing Kelleher back in, and obviously we've got Mitchell in midweek. I'd play Kelleher in that. Um, the FA Cup, I think, is still to come. I'd play Kelleher in that as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, for the Fulham game, it looks like Allison could be back in goal, um, but we might not need him <laughs> because <laughs> this is a game that I would expect Liverpool to do quite well in. Um, yeah, I'm confident going into this. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I think. Uh... I, I, although Fulham showed signs of life in recent weeks, I think that City game was a was a kind of reminder what to expect when they come against the, the you know the kind of elite sides of the division. And I know that only finished two 0 but it was very one sided. And yeah, I just cannot see anything more Liverpool win here. I know we normally leave predictions to the end, but we'll we'll talk about why we can't see anything more. <laughs> yeah, I've watched Fulham a fair bit this season. Actually, I watched them against Arsenal. Uh, on the opening day, I think that might have been. Mm. Uh, I watched them against City this weekend. I watched them against Leicester last weekend. Everton, yeah. maybe? Uh, the Everton game. What score was that one? Oh, yeah, Everton, yeah. Yeah, 3-2 it was, but they they were much better second half. Yeah, I, they, they have definitely improved. Initially against Arsenal, they looked horrible. They looked mm. bad. Um, they had a centre-half playing, who I don't think I've seen since. <laughs> <laughs> he played... Um, Michael Hector, I think. Mm, yeah. Okay. If, if you get any any time spare today, go on Scout and look at Michael Hector's actions against Arsenal. Just look at his highlight reel. And it's, okay, I'll do that after this. It's the worst game I've ever seen a play, Premier League player have. Um, but he's he's not playing since they brought in um, Joachim Anderson. I think is maybe how you say it, Joaquin Anderson. Mm. Um, I was familiar with him actually. Swedish, I think he is. Um, playing that <laughs> yeah, playing uh, at Santoria at the time. Um, but when, before he moved to Santoria, I think he was getting linked with Arsenal. Um, yeah. he's, he's okay. He's a good, you know, decent player. And the, and the, I think they've integrated a centre half next to him. I'm not sure his name is. I know it begins with an A. But he's young, tall. Looks like a good player. And um, just quickly, Josh, our producer has uh, flagged the air as we're talking that Fulham fans apparently call call him uh, Hector Virgil Van Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, the, but then he's caveated saying, but that was before the Arsenal game. <laughs> well, that, that must purely be down to his appearance then, because it's not to do with his football and ability. Um, <laughs> where was I then? I've lost my turn. Oh, yeah, on. sorry, mate. Go on. Uh, but yeah, I think. Well, I can't even remember what I was saying. What was I on about there? 
We're, I think we just talking about the defence and uh, they, they've, oh, yeah. they've improved a little bit. They made some changes. Yeah, no, the young, the young other centre half that they brought in alongside Anderson looks good. Um, and they've got, I think it's Andy Robinson at left. Yeah, back. yeah. Um, looks he looks decent. Yeah, um, right back. I'm not sure who'd, who'd have been playing right back recently, but initially at the start of the season, I think it was like um, Dennis Adoyim and players like this. Mm. Um, but the. the they come across early on a little bit, a little bit in the mould of maybe Norwich, just a bit naive, a bit idealistic, not not particularly practical when it comes to applying your principles in the Premier League to get results, mm. and they just, just looked awful. But past two weeks, I think they've applied um, the whole sitting back, soaking pressure, and counter attacking quite well. Whereas earlier in the season, they were trying to play. You know, Arsenal at their own game by by mm. you know possession football and all that sort of stuff just didn't work. Mm. Yeah, um, weirdly, I might have egg on my face. This is bold, this, but I've got a feeling he might end up staying up. You know, I uh, <laughs> I, I know, but let, and we'll see how it goes. But I just I just fancy them to have a better better second half of the season. I feel like Park is learning, but did you see to? I don't know. Let's wait and see. You know, I'll I'll be first to flag this at the end of the year if they do, but I'll I'll be making sure Guy deletes it if uh, if they go right down. But just want to watch. But yeah, they have some good players, especially you know, um, you talked about um, Anthony Robertson there. Obviously, he was meant to be going to AC Milan last year for ten million from Wigan, uh, and the deal fell through for a reason. I'm still not sure. I think he failed a medical or something was wrong with the paperwork. Which would have been a blow, for, if you can imagine going from Wigan to AC Milan. Um, but he still got a, a decent move to the Premier League, and it, you know his his chance creation numbers were really good in the Championship, and he's looked decent at, at Fulham so far. And another kind of form in Everton player who's, who looks quite good in the numbers is Adam Luckman. Um, a couple of weeks ago now, by Adam Gander, and his. In terms of shot creating actions per ninety, he was he was right up there. So I do wonder whether if they can get some consistency out of him and, and get maybe someone because Mitrovic has been hot and cold this year. If they can just get someone finishing these chances, then they could be they could get a few more goals. But as I said, I'm not sure if they're going to happen this weekend. Yeah, he's a strange case, Luckman, because uh, mm. whenever I saw him for Everton, which wasn't always. You know, wasn't that frequent, but whenever it did, he looked like a bright spark, and I was mm. I was wondering why he didn't get why he didn't get more opportunities. And then when he goes to Leipzig, I'm thinking, perfect club for a player like that. You know, Leipzig focused on um, developing players for the resale resale value sort of thing. So I thought he'd on a much smaller scale. I thought it'd be kind of a Sancho type buy, whereby mm. a club pick up a talented English forward. Sell him back to the Premier League in a few years for a lot of money, but again he's came back, didn't really work. So he's a bit of a a talent that looks a lot unfulfilled. I think probably at the minute for me. Yeah, uh, he has shown he has shown flashes this season. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's still just twenty three, so he may still come good. But I agree that move to Germany looked like uh, wow, here we go. You know, this could this will be the making of and type thing and. I don't know, maybe it was just with Leipzig, like if he was maybe competing with players who were just better than him. You know, was was he competing with the likes of Werner or something? Werner was playing out wide and there was no room for them. And that's that's difficult. But um, yeah, it, it will be one to watch, I think. If he can get some consistency to his game, then he could have a good year. 
Yeah, I mean, in terms of Fulham's numbers, um, 17th in the table at the minute. As I said, they've improved recently, but these numbers will be the season as a whole. So, for expected goals, paying 19th to 12th, but without penalties, they are 16th. It's probably worth knowing at this point that when they do take a penalty, it's... <laughs> Um, yeah, the XG number goes out the window there. I think it's about 0.25 for them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Put, them, put them in the minus or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so if they get a penalty, don't worry about it. Um, and <laughs> when it comes to the shots, the, the 11th in the table for, for shots, which isn't bad. Uh, 14th for shots faced, this is pay 90. Um, 17th overall for expected goals against. So basically, if you remove penalties, they've kind of got the 16th best attack in a way and the 17th best defence. So they're kind of hanging on in and around being inside the bottom three worst teams in the league, really, I suppose, which is what you'd expect mm. with a promoted team. Um, I do think they've got, they've got tricky players. They've got players up front, similar to Wolves, I would say probably uh, Cavalier or... Um, who else have they got? They've got loads of little. Um, <laughs> don't, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> they've got cheek who played up front, funnily enough, against Manchester City. They have Lohan, obviously. Mm. They've got players who are just good at coping on their own, in a way, good at coping in isolation. They can act as outlets almost to kind of relieve pressure, but I think that. They're good enough to act as outlets against Leicester, but I think against City and against Liverpool, it's probably going to take a better player to get them off the field and to kind of release pressure a little bit. I think against Liverpool, it'll just be quite relentless. If you have to keep with some of the principles that, that these teams have on the Scott Pye, I would be being, you know, knee football combinations, uh, bravery on the ball, playing quite bold, sometimes building from the back. I think that's really risky against Liverpool. Um, mm. I don't see. I don't. I don't see. I don't see any of their game being suited to face Liverpool. No. Any of it. No. I just. This is quite interesting. I, I agree with the whole that, by the way. But um, I hadn't. I hadn't really picked up on this. That I was having a look at Liverpool's away Premier League results so far, and first and foremost, got to acknowledge who they've played. You know, they've had. I'd say two of their toughest away games every year in Everton and Manchester City. But the, the only win they've actually picked up on the road in the Premier League this season was the um, was the one against Chelsea. So it's actually four games now that they haven't won in, in, away in the Premier League. And as I said, it's been a really difficult run. It's been Villa, Everton, City and Brighton. But it's still a kind of return that you'd expect Liverpool to get more wins from. Um, yeah. So this could be the game where they, they do need to win just to get back to kind of winning ways a little bit on on the road. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Uh, I, I, I that myself to be honest. Mm. It needs to be kind of team we'll go for considering we have spares midweek in what is kind of a very early season title decider in a way. I mean, mm. at that point, I'm not sure who spares we've got this weekend, but at that point. Will probably be level on points, I assume, if, if Spurs get a win this weekend. Because I expect it to be cool. um, oh. um, So they've got, well, you know, they had a really easy game yesterday, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm just saying, there's no guy will, uh, guy will be rolling his eyes there, that producer. But no, they've got Palace away, which it isn't It isn't a given that. Um, Palace seems to be so hard to predict. Yeah, they don't seem suited to facing a team like that either. I think it's no coincidence. No. Faced, they faced West Brom, sneaked the 1-0 win. Faced Burnley, sneaked the 1-0 win. But they've demolished the likes of Southampton, thrived against the likes of City and Arsenal. So mm. I think they, they are better suited when they don't have the ball, funnily enough. So it makes yeah. sense against Palace. Um, He's also uh, flagged the other title contenders go to Everton this weekend, Chelsea. Um, which I don't know, is that a tough game anymore? I don't know if it is, to be honest. One thing that will be interesting in that game is there's going to be home fans there, like there was at Anfield. There's going to be 2,000 home fans, and I do, I do definitely think it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out over these next few months, having that psychological edge because. Am I right in saying that this weekend the team with the I don't know West Ham messed it up, didn't he? But most teams who had home fans this season won, didn't he? Um, so yeah. yeah, it'll just be one. It'll just be one to watch. It could just maybe level the playing field a little bit, and might be an opportunity that, for Chelsea to to drop points. Yeah, I mean, I must, I must say, I, I this is kind of a bit of a bit of a you know opposite way that we're supposed to be going here but I think if you look at Chelsea's numbers this season and if you look at them as a team I am impressed with Chelsea I do think Chelsea will be up there you know yeah I do I do I really do um, I've got underrated squad yeah well they're going to lose the edge now when you look at the squad depth and you're like they, they probably won't even miss him because you know you've got like Pulisic you'll come in and they've just got so that, that's the key I think that's what's going to keep them in and around it is that They've got so many um, players that can come in for when all the players go out injured because that's the that's the problem this year. This is why Liverpool haven't been the foregone conclusion for the title that they probably looked like at the start of the season because it's been levelled out a little bit for everybody else because they've suffered so many like injury setbacks. I feel like if that happens with Chelsea, they've got that many players that can come in at the moment that it's probably not going to impact them too much from a performance point of view. Uh, and that's why I think the you know they could be quite serious this year. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how things how things play out once we get into like maybe the new year sort of thing. Mm. Um, obviously we've got a busy Christmas period coming up, and I think Liverpool have had, I think generally a, a trickier start than Chelsea. Yeah, obviously we've had a lot more injuries than any other team, yet we're still joint top of the league. So I think that bodes well for mm. the Christmas period probably. Um. Just on Fulham, I think they've, they've moved to a, a back three, like a 3-4-3 three, three system against Leicester and, and City. Obviously, Leicester City and Liverpool, I suppose the you know the task at hand is quite similar for, for each team there in terms of Fulham know they're not going to have the majority of possession. They know they're, not, they're going to have to play on the break, probably. They're going to have to oh, be bold okay. when they finally do get the ball. Um, with them playing on the break, Mitrovic hasn't been playing. Um, past two games, I think he's been on the bench because obviously he can't really count for the sack. He's not really that type of player. So they've been going with a fluid front three. But I think I see the game just kind of going uh, pretty much exactly how Liverpool wanted to. Um, I can see Fulham trying to do what they want to do, but without having the quality to to impose a game like that on Liverpool and I can see Liverpool just kind of being in control really and um, scoring a few 
I think what, mm. one one player I do think has has got a bit of kryptonite really for Liverpool's game is Zambo Anguissa. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen him this season, Dave. I remember mentioning him to you. I think it, it was last year for some sort of transfer pod, maybe. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, you you wasn't aware of him at the time. I don't think. No, no. The only bit, well, I was just about to say you you put him on on the map a little bit for me, and but I've only seen him in in games that he's played when I've been watching Fulham. Uh, I haven't got any. I haven't really been keeping an eye on any sort of numbers or performances so far. Um, I mean, looks a good player, but yeah, I mean, he's he's quite he's quite well rounded and very very modern in the way he plays the game. Like he he, he sweeps up a lot. Wins a lot of balls like a Kante type, um, but then on the ball, he's really quite press resistant as well. Like he's mm. he, against City, obviously the way City press when when he lose the ball, he was one of the few Fulham players who was able to stay cool on the ball and get out of tight spaces. And he's kind of got like a bit of Moussa Dembele and Dombele about him, whereby he gets out of mad situations where you wouldn't expect him to. And, um, mm. if, you can, if you can catch his highlights from the City game, I think the way of watching because he's he's a player who he's not like to score or anything like that, but ju- he's just a good player that, that that I do like and I do I do think is deserving of a level above. From, mm. Mm. Um, so verdict ahead of the game? Yeah, I uh, I I can't see can't see anything but Liverpool win. To be honest with you, um, quite a comfortable one as well. I'm going to go three 0 yeah, I'm going to go 3-0 as well. I think maybe around the hour mark onwards, I can see it probably getting to a point where Klopp gives a few of his key players a break ahead of the Spurs game. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I can just I can see this being another one of those games where Liverpool are just a nightmare for for Fulham. Um, uh-huh. I think I think it's at Fulham, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think I'm right in saying it's quite a small pitch. Um, but like Sheffield United, they're not usually ideal for the big team to go to. But I can still see us going there and dominating. Fulham have some fans there actually as well. To be fair, just keeping on with that yeah. narrative. Not, not yeah. that I, I think Fulham are known for having the uh, the loudest and most um, intimidating fans. But as I said, it's just one to look out for. It could, you know, make it a little bit, a little bit tougher. But I just, I just can't see it impacting the performance of Liverpool. So yeah. I think it's going to be a long way. Right, we'll, uh, we'll round up there. In fact, before I round up, I probably just should have uh, kept the listeners up to date, but anyone that's signed up for the Analyze Nanfield newsletter, uh, I haven't sent one out for over a month. I think it might be uh, not my fault. We have been migrating over to a new platform, uh, which is getting finalised today, I think. So by the time you listen to this podcast, if you've signed up, you should probably have this week's newsletter but just letting listeners know that those will be getting restarted again you know moving forward from this week um so if you haven't been receiving them you know not to worry about they'll be they'll be restarting again um yeah we'll, we'll leave it there i think so dave thanks for joining us mate cheers cheers everyone and we'll be back next week thanks You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.